Is the answer to the Bible disengagement problem to just try harder? Or is something systemically broken? You probably know what we're going to say. This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Alex Goodwin, joined by my colleagues Paul Caminiti and Glenn Powell. In our first episode, we looked at the state of the Bible kind of from a 30,000-foot level, how despite more Bibles than ever before, people are still struggling to read and understand it. Many people just give up altogether. We shared a little bit of our backstories and why this phenomenon led us to start the Institute for Bible Reading. Today, we're going to be diving into what's actually broken, what barriers are in place that prevent people from reading. And I think that we need to start with the underlying unspoken or maybe even unrealized mindset that once you have a Bible, the magic will just start happening and you'll automatically read it and understand it and have a transformative experience with it. That is a remarkable thing you just said, Alex. I mean, you think about the place that the Bible is supposed to have in the church, in the Christian life. And the fact that we just assume that if you give people a Bible, that they will know what to do with it. Yeah. I think the church has failed to kind of understand the difference between teaching the content of the Bible, preaching it, Sunday school lessons, whatever, youth group presentations on some some verse of the Bible, or actually teaching people what to do with the Bible, which is right. the thing we never actually get to. And I, I grew up in a in a Bible saturated environment, church, Christian school, catechism. On Wednesday afternoons after school, I mean, the Bible was everywhere, but I cannot remember a time when anyone in the church or in the school ever said to me, this is actually what the Bible is, and this is what you're supposed to do with it. I just think that's amazing. Yeah, it's sort of like that that phrase, you know, give a man a fish versus teach a man to fish, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So why what what is that? What's going on there? I mean, I think what's stunning is that again, if you just look at the the book, the the actual physical artifact itself and you realize that this is a complex kind of literature. Um and uh, starting with the fact that it's ancient literature. And usually, I mean, if in a literary literature class, you know, you're handed works of Shakespeare, there's immediately a a sense that you have to reorient the students to the ancient culture in which it was written, the literary forms of that day, and that sort of thing. And so there needs to be um, some foundational work. And this is this is largely absent in a in a world where pedagogy is such an important thing. If you're a math teacher or a science teacher, you go to conferences to find better ways to teach people math and science. But when it comes to the Bible, you know, we usually equip people with some very basic and simplistic formulas like, you know, pray, read, apply, meditate, journal, and you've got it, you know, you've nailed it. And um, so anyhow, we don't, we don't want to start by saying, you know, the Bible is an impossible book because it isn't. And it's a very engageable book. But uh, to your point, Alex, we have, we have to kind of disabuse our minds of this magical thinking that just handing a Bible to people and wishing them Godspeed is, is going to get the job done. Yeah, I think there's there's two things that the church does, and they think it's a strategy to to help people engage the Bible. One is 
this just try harder thing that you mentioned, Alex. I think yeah. there's a real movement to just say, look, be diligent with your daily quiet time. Pick the time. You get instructions. Pick it if you're a morning person. Do it in the morning. Do it in the evening. Set aside that time. Read your Bible. Pray. And wait. It's like, what was that first one? Read your Bible. Right. right. As if that one just will. If you just do that. Right. Right. The magic will happen. And the other thing is, I think we just load superlatives on the Bible as if if they just if we say enough good things about the Bible, that's all the motivation people need. Like it's tremendous. It's beautiful. It's God's truth. And we just have all these wonderful things to say about the Bible. We combine that with the message of discipline and we think that's going to overcome. And I think what doesn't happen is we don't picture, uh, say, a young person Who's, who wants to become a Bible reader, has taken in the message, and sits down and starts actually reading through different parts of the Bible. Yep. W- what do they experience? What do they encounter? And has the help the church given them actually address what's actually there on the page and how they're to make sense of it? What you mentioned, Paul, about literature, about the ancient world that the Bible is set in, um, all these things that they're just, I think their mind gets blown and they're like, this is actually really hard and I really don't understand it. And the church just ignores that problem. Yeah. I'd I'd add, Glenn, to your, you know, uh, analogy about, you know, how the church sees this task of immersing people in the scripture. I'd add a third thing to that, um, which is that I think there's been this perception that if we teach enough and if we teach and preach well enough uh, over the course of time, then people will indeed then. Mm, And and some of this came from a bygone era, not that long ago, Alex, before your time, when there was adult Sunday school there was Sunday night services. There were Wednesday night services, which, you know, when I was a pastor was just another opportunity for me to preach in many <laughs> cases. And so, you know, I had four opportunities with people. And, and in that era, we had a lot of people that came to all four of those of those experiences. Yeah. And obviously that that age is behind us and the age that we're entering into, you know, which is even more sketchy, where even before the COVID virus and what have you, pastors that I know were saying, look, if I get people coming twice a month on a Sunday morning, I've got a faithful and committed person. So now people are maybe having, if they're fortunate, two experiences a week or a, or a month and, and then whatever podcast or whatever hap- happens they might listen to. But there's never been a more urgent need to separate what we learn from preaching and what people are actually going to learn by personally, you know, taking a deep dive into the scriptures. Well, I think, you know, I think to my own reading habits outside of the Bible, um, I can't think of the last time I read a book from, you know, before 1900, let alone anything from 1600 or 800 or, you know, the Bible's over 2000 years old, you know, most of it. And the fact that, um, you know, we think that we can just kind of pick it up and, and get the gist of it and know what's going on is, is just kind of crazy to me. Here's what I think happens. I think people take in these messages from the church about how great it is and how disciplined they're supposed to be, a good Christian is supposed to be. And because they're not actually getting tangible help with what they're actually going to encounter in the Bible from the church, they're making up their own strategies. And so I think this thing about finding great verses 
is yeah. one of those strategies because <laughs> there's all this stuff in there they can't make sense of. They don't know how it fits together and what this ancient world was like. So what they do is they look for the parts that seem like are talking straight to them, straight to their heart from God, and just ignore that middle audience, the first audience. And right. it's like God is talking straight to me. As long as I stick to my favorite verses, then I'm good. The <laughs> Bible is amazing because I yeah. just it has these really great parts. Like the rest of it, I have no idea what's going on, but there's these really great bits and pieces, and I'll just live my life off of those. And that's a strategy people have come up with because we haven't helped them how to do the whole thing well. Yeah, and I think there's kind of this element of built up frustration and and maybe some latent shame in a lot of mm. lay people, um, just not feeling smart enough or dedicated enough to really uh, dive in and become a, a quote unquote Bible scholar that uh, that understands how to read these books. And you know, I don't I don't want to throw pastors or church leaders under the bus either because. I think they're doing their best to try to get people into the word by, by teaching them and that sort of thing. But I think people are just sort of left without answers of, of where to go when it comes to learning how to read the Bible. Yeah, I would agree. And, um, you know, pastors have an enormously challenging job today. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, you know, obviously more than ever before, when do we open up again? How do we open up? And um, we, we don't want to add to their burdens. But, you know, I, I think what we're encouraging pastors to do is is simply, you know, say, we're going to deal with this this question. What is our strategy for engaging people mm, yeah. in the Bible? If, you know, if every church, you know, had that on the top of their, you know, board agenda or committee agenda, that would be that would be a good place to start. And I had an amazing conversation with a church leader from one of uh, America's churches with uh, a, a premier preaching pastor, somebody whose sermons I listen to on a regular basis that I benefit from greatly. And we were talking about Immerse. And this person at the end of our conversation stopped and paused and said, you know, Paul, to be honest with you, our church, which is famous for, you know, getting people to listen to the Bible and learn about the Bible, as you present it this way, I guess I have to admit, we don't have a strategy. Yeah. For engaging people. Yeah. Our yeah. strategy is come and listen to our pastor. Yeah. And um, so uh, a good place to begin, but not a good place to end. So, so we've kind of used this term magical thinking about Bible engagement. Glenn, I know you've shown the, the comic before where these two professors are working out a complicated uh, math problem on a whiteboard. And, you know, you have all the equations over on the left. And then in the middle, it says something like, and then a miracle occurs. And then, you know, the equation <laughs> continues on the right, right side of the board. Right. And I think, you know, for most people, whether they recognize it or realize it or not, that's that's a little bit what what they think happens with the Bible. And and that's what we've been talking about. But over over the course of our history and, and our years, uh, you guys and, and we've identified three real kind of tangible barriers that uh, that are in place that make it harder for people to read the Bible and understand it. And 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 they develop some bad habits because of them. So, Paul, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. And we, we didn't uh, 
create these uh, these three bad habits that we're going to share in a vacuum. We actually yeah. traveled around the country, talked to hundreds of scholars, uh, behavioral psychologists, uh, Christian thought leaders, pastors, and out of out of that contribution, uh, came up with with three that. Um, that we we would share with you right now. These are the barriers. And the first one is that we read the Bible in fragments. And I don't know that many of us would argue with that. Uh, We have our verse of the day. Emails, even a a faithful reader just really reads a fragment, a chapter or so a day. And all of this kind of came into perspective with a a statement that Philip Yancey made, uh, who is one of our board of directors. And he said, the modern church created an entire culture uh, of Bible McNuggets yeah. and assumed wow. that they were nutritious. Yeah. And, you know, we always get a, a, a good chuckle for that. But, you know, the, the sobering phrase there within that phrase is we created an entire culture. Yeah. And it is, isn't it? I mean, you know, framed art and Bible verses on on coffee cups and, uh, you know, your your life verse. None of these things that we necessarily want to take away from people. But obviously, the current reality is fragments is the way we're, we're taking in the scriptures. Yeah. And Glenn, that's that's pretty connected to the form of the Bible that we have, right? It kind of right. leads you to do yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's it's revealing to look at the very first chapter and verse Bibles, which occurred in the 16th century. So very yeah. late in the Bible game. And those very first chapter and verse Bibles had every single verse as a separate paragraph. Wow. And that kind of presentation, I mean, it looks for all the world like that sentence is meant to be taken alone and out of context in isolation. So it's not a surprise that people latched onto this idea of here's this little truthlet in the Bible, this little piece of divine truth, and I can grab hold of it. And I don't have to read what comes before it or after it or understand what kind of literature it's written in, whether it's from a psalm or a letter or a gospel. I just see a statement of divine truth and I grab hold of it. And that change is very discernible in the history of how the Bible has been used in the church. From the 16th century on, people started using Bible verses in a way that they just did not in the time before we changed the form. So the first point to understand is we changed the form and people adapted to the new form. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's there's kind of two big problems that arise from that. Obviously, one is being misled into into what scripture says or or what it's about in a lot of different cases. Another is it's just hard to get absorbed into the Bible if you're just kind of picking fragments out of it, kind of piecemeal and and applying them to your life, sort of like to to use the McNugget analogy, like you can't sustain yourself only on Bible McNugget or chicken McNuggets or Bible McNuggets all the time. Like they, they need to be absorbed within a proper context, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw on version there's a map of the whole globe and the favorite verse by country. Yeah. And you go around the world and every they just said, these are the favorite verses of the people who are reading the Bible in this part of the world. And there's like a top 20. Yeah. So there's like 20 verses that have stood out like across the globe. I'm like, this is amazing. We have really, Yancey is right. We've created a culture yeah. of Bible McNuggets and people have zeroed in on the same 20 verses. And I'm like, Wow, what a strange thing to create a Bible and just hide these gems in there as if the goal is to find them and then you're done. And you can live your whole life off of these 20 verses. 
Yeah. Out of what, like 30 or 31,000 verses exactly. in total? Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. That's a pretty small amount. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, to make sure we're not piling on, and and uh, as we said earlier, our, our goal is not to overwhelm people with guilt. The fact that we're reading in fragments is a byproduct of yeah. the changes that we made with the Bible, where we took this artificial um, framework and laid it, you know, over the top of the Bible. We fragmented it, and lo and behold, <laughs> people people read it in in fragments. Yep. So there's a second uh, barrier, um, and it's actually tied to the first one. When you read the Bible in fragments, barrier number two, we read outside the Bible's historical context. And so what we discover, and this has, by by the way, been true of us most of our lives. Uh, before some of the the discoveries is that that we read the Bible as though it fell out of heaven yesterday, yeah, and this is oftentimes encouraged because um, people are encouraged to you know read their chapter a day and then immediately um, now make sure that you apply it don 't simply yeah. be a listener to the word, you know be a doer of the word, and so immediately uh, you know people now are scratching their heads and saying, Okay, I just read you know um you know, the statement from the Bible, don't trust in your own understanding. Okay, now how can I today not trust in my own understanding? <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, again, again, there's almost, you know, no thought given to the historical historical context. And that's that, that creates its own set of problems. Yeah. And points number one and two are related, right? Yeah. As long as you're reading verses out of context and reading just little fragments, then it's easier to not read them in the context that they were written in. So if I'm reading for, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, then if I hear the word you, I'm able to say that, oh, that's me. God has plans for me. I can skip Israel in exile in the book of Jeremiah that it was being addressed to, and I can just think about God and me. And so it's a shortcut to say the parts of the Bible that are meaningful are the ones that speak directly to me, and I don't have to know anything about the world that it was born in or the story of the Bible itself and what's what's happening and how it moves. And so it's a short-circuiting of the kind of book that God actually gave us. Yep. And to go back to your earlier point, you know, a lot of modern Bible Bibles uh, are better at this than than maybe the Geneva Bible in the 1600s that yeah. indented every verse as a separate paragraph. But even the format of the Bible um, hiding the type of literature that it is, like if there's two columns, it's hard to tell if you're reading narrative or poetry or song lyrics or whatever. And so just kind of that, those background processes in your brain that tell you, oh, you should, you know, this looks like poetry. Maybe you should read it with some different mental rules in mind. Um, a lot of those, depending on the formatting of your Bible, kind of work against you as well. Yeah, Glenn, you said something in, uh, in your book, Saving the Bible from Ourselves, that has been extremely helpful to me in my Bible reading. And you said, really, when we're reading the Bible, we're reading somebody else's mail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, I have begun to kind of inculcate that into my Bible reading. So, for example, when I'm reading the Psalms, you know, now that I understand that the Psalms were actually um, brought together into a single body of work in the time after Israel was returning from his exile, 
when they were, you know, in a desperate uh, situation. And now they finally have this, this smaller version of the temple that they can worship in. But apparently these songs, song lyrics come together and they become part of the worship of these people that have been so devastated. Yeah. And now when I go to the Psalms, I, I actually do this. I try to get into that frame of mind mm-hmm. the best way that I can. Yeah. And then I begin, you know, to read this particular psalm, imagining what it was like for those those early, early readers or listeners as they sang these things together. Yeah, yeah. that's a great, great discipline. I think, um, you know, you often will hear the phrase, Paul tells us, and I heard a seminary professor say, well, actually, Paul told the Romans. <laughs> and and yeah. and that's an essential step, like you're doing, Paul, with the Psalms. Um, when we're reading, we have to say, okay, who was this written to and when? And what was the story they were in at that time? Is it before or after Jesus? Is it, you know, in the New Testament letter? Is it an Old Testament historical book? What did they know? What were they thinking? What was the message for those people then? And then as a second step, we say, okay, what does that mean for us now? given its place in the whole story. And I think it's that middle step that people just want to want to skip and have oftentimes been taught to skip yeah. is that you, you don't need to mess with um, what the message was in the first century or in the sixth century before Christ. You just go straight to you. It's God's word to you. And your job is just to obey. But the thing is, we know we can't obey everything in the Bible because it's in a different cultural setting and some of the things have changed. So that's not a good rule to just say, just do what the word says. Um, People have to understand how to get from back then to the present time. And that's something we can do in a future podcast is talk about that process. Yeah, I know the Old Testament scholar John Walton likes to say the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And so it's it's hard work, but it's necessary work to kind of do that two two step process to see um, what what did this mean for the original audience? And then what does it mean for us? And I I think it's important to say, you know, that that's not a a thing just for scholars. I think sometimes people can get scared off like, oh, this is complicated and academic and I'm not into it. But I think actually with following some basic rules and some basic understanding, this is a way for everyone to read the Bible. This is the Bible for everyone um, and they can do it well and without becoming a Bible scholar, not knowing the original languages. There's a way to do this that is accessible and is for everyone. Yeah. And that's kind of part of what we're going to be hoping to do on this podcast. So keep listening and we'll try to help you out. Barrier number three. Drum roll. roll. (laughs) We read read the Bible in isolation. And so um, a book that was clearly written by communities of faith, uh, there were oftentimes writers like Paul who leaned into some of his contemporaries to help. Um, Written to communities of faith, for communities of faith, has morphed into a solo sport. And if we need any, you know, Proof for that, we just need to look at our lexicon. We have our private devotions. We have our quiet time. We have our personal Bible study. Again, all great places to begin. Nothing that you should take away. But ultimately, in the ancient world and in the world in which these scriptures were delivered, these letters came to a group of people you know, in a Roman villa in Rome right. and probably were read in their entirety and discussed 
and perhaps argued about. And uh, that piece, that that vital piece, is um, somewhat missing in, in our in our modern our modern culture. You know, I think it's hard to overstate how individualistic modern culture is. And because it's the air we breathe and the water we swim in, we don't see it. We just, it's all we've ever known is to think individualistically. And maybe if I want to, I join a group, but I'm me and my identity is first and the group is second. And I think it's hard to convey to people how we just have to reverse that to really understand the Bible. In that world, the the community, the corporate identity came first. And you were a member of a group and your individual thoughts on things didn't matter so much as what your group did. And that's why, as Scott McKnight likes to say, the Bible just is a community formation book. And, you know, we always ask the individualistic question, how should I apply this? And we never think to ask what every Bible listener would have asked, how do we live this out? And it's a different approach. And I think we haven't even begun to explore all the benefits that come from reading the Bible in in community in new ways. And, you know, one of the cultural artifacts that we have created as part of Immerse is that we made a very deliberate pivot away from traditional Bible studies to book clubs. We changed mm. we changed the model and a book club model is an invitation into into community. And and again, it, it's not just getting people in a room. To have genuine community, there have to be real, honest questions and answers and the ability to wrestle with the text. So if you're together in a room with somebody and the question out of the participant's guide is, how many times did Jesus call himself the bread of life in John 6? You're not going to get a conversation. You're going right. to get some answers that will be parroted from the text. But if, on the other hand, you're with a group of people and they've read a large portion of Scripture you know, each of them individually, they come together as adults. And the first question is, you know, what is it that you saw for the first time this week? That is a very, going to be a very different kind of conversation. It's going to be a more honest conversation. And, I'll, you know, let's, let's get it out on the table. In this day and age, when people are really starving for community now, yeah. The church has an opportunity to to kind of switch that model, invite people into a more honest uh, interaction with the scriptures. And again, the comments that are coming back to us right now are just really remarkable. And my favorite is somebody that said, I've been doing, you know, Bible studies for years, but where has this experience been, you know, all my Christian life? All three of these barriers or these these problems, these systemic problems are are rabbit holes in and of themselves. We've kind of mm-hmm. been standing on the surface and kind of looking down into the rabbit holes, but but each of them uh, we can talk about at length. Um, and and each one probably when we talk about what it means to read and live the Bible well, we'll be addressing one one or more of these kind of systemic big problems, big barriers that make Bible reading uh, so difficult for people. So. Just keep those in mind as you continue listening to our show. There'll be kind of a recurring theme on here as we talk about different ways to to read the Bible and change your habits and and open it up for for fresh expressions. Paul and Glenn, do you have any final comments or stories? Yeah, I would just simply say this, that this is a pretty big deal to identify identify the barriers. And 
you yeah. you have them now. You can wrestle with them. You can talk amongst yourselves uh, about them with with your friends. But as we identify them, as we study them, as we quantify them, um, we think it's an opportunity for a big step forward. And so, uh, you know, let's close with what the antidote to reading in fragments, reading outside of context, and reading in isolation might look like. What would happen if this was the new future that God's people? around the world began to gather around the scriptures, reading significant portions, and then they would they would read the complete story. They would understand it in context, and they would experience it in community. We think that has an opportunity to be transformative on a, on yep. a, on a corporate scale. Yep. Love it. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening again. Uh, I hope you'll rate and review us on your podcast provider so that more people can find us. And hopefully you're finding what we're, uh, what we're talking about here helpful and, and hopeful that the Bible reading doesn't have to be such a chore or such a uh, shameful experience if, if that's been your experience. So um, you can also find our episodes on thebiblereset.com, uh, which you can share with your, your friends and family. And uh, you can support our work at the Institute for Bible Reading by going to instituteforbiblereading.org slash changemakers. That's our monthly giving community that helps us continue to make new things like this. If you feel so inclined, then you can go and support us there. So thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you guys on the next one. 